Thank you, Brother Josh. Thank you, praise team. Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Your outline is wrong. It's 2 Corinthians, if you haven't figured that out already. I changed the message at about 8 o'clock last night. You'll be lucky if that's the only thing that's wrong with it. First, let me say I, I feel like I'm standing before a battered army this morning. Some of you were in the thick of this storm. You lost your homes, your businesses, your pets, everything you own. And even though we are thankful we didn't see any deaths within our church family, some of you saw your neighbors lose parents, children, siblings, classmates, and students. This week, some of you also saw our friends lay a precious young daughter to rest. I'm so honored to say that many of you worked from daylight to dark this week to serve your neighbors. Some of you ministered to the physical injuries right along with others right after the storm. Others helped them to dig their belongings out of the rubble and cut brush and haul it away. Some of you donated money and supplies and others received and organized donations that have been brought into our church in huge quantities. You welcomed and assisted those walking wounded who come through our doors and you tried to send them away with food and clothing, household supplies, and the idea that Jesus and this church care that they are hurting Some of you rode on our vans countless miles over the course of this week, providing hot meals to those victims and relief workers that have flooded in to help us. You prayed with, you cried with, you worked with, and ministered to so many this week. You were literally the hands and feet of Jesus to hundreds who needed his presence in the middle of this chaos. It's been a hard week. But I'm proud to know you as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. It's been a week of destruction, devastation, even death. It's one of those weeks that makes us ask the crucial question, why? Why does this happen? Why do bad things happen? And especially, why do bad things happen to good people? Is there a purpose in pain and suffering? I wish I could tell you that at the end of this message, you will have answers to all of those questions. Some of those answers you will not have until we get to heaven. But there is one question I hope to answer. And that question is their purpose in our pain and suffering. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 3. And I want to look for a moment at that God is our source of comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that you are partakers of the suffering and also you will be partakers of the consolation. By any estimation, first, 2 Corinthians 1 contains the Bible's greatest text on the subject of comfort. The word comfort in its noun and verb forms occurs no less than 10 times in this passage, which is essentially one-third of the 31 occurrences in all of the New Testament. However, our modern use of the word comfort has robbed it of some of its strength. To us, comfort means something soft and soothing, a comfortable chair, a comfortable bed. But in the Bible, the word comfort is the translation of the word parakleto, which literally means to come alongside to help. It is the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 14 and verse 6 to describe the Holy Spirit. Our English word comfort comes from a combination of two words, which means with strength. So to comfort really means to come alongside someone and give them your strength. That's the kind of comfort we want to offer. Now Paul knew what he was talking about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24 through 28, he, he tells us a few of the things that he has suffered. He says, from the Jews five times I, restre- I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day have I been in the deep, and in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in the perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. But Paul says that through it all, this is what he has learned, that God is the one who comforts us in all our tribulations. In effect, he is saying that what he has learned is that when he is sick, God is there by his bedside. When he runs out of money, God is there with him in his poverty. When he is hated and despised, God stands by his side. 
And even when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, God is present and takes him by the hand and leads him through. The second thing that I want you to see with me this morning is that God has a reason for allowing our suffering. As I said before, when we are suffering, we think of that crucial question, why, and why has this happened, and why me, and why now? And although we will never have the answers to all those in this life, Paul does provide us with five reasons why God allows us to suffer tribulation. First of all, to prepare us to help others. Who struggle. Verse 4 said, and who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort where which we are comfort ourselves are comforted by God. And then in verse 6 it says, and now we are afflicted. It is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. The truth is that God does not comfort me to make me comfortable. God comforts me to make me a comforter. Some Christians, some individuals are so self-centered, they kind of remind me of a a guy named Sam that I read about. He'd taken a first aid class. And in the next class, he said, well, last week I got to apply what I learned in this first class that we had. And the instructor said, well, that's, that's terrible. Tell us about it. He said, well, a few days ago, I heard a terrible crash outside my home. And when I went outside, I saw that a car had veered off the road and plowed headfirst into a big tree. There were injured passengers in the car, and because I'd taken this class, I knew exactly what to do. I immediately sat down on my front steps, put my head between my knees so I wouldn't pass out. Sadly, that's how a lot of people are. That's how they feel about their faith. To them, church is coming and sitting and soaking it in. And then they leave and they just use whatever they've learned to make themselves more comfortable. But that was never what God intended. Secondly, He allows those things to come into our lives to make us focus on what is really important. For we do not want, verse 8, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of your trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Now, we don't know what painful event that Paul is describing here in the text, but we do know that he fully expected to die. Paul frames his despair in in memorable terms because the Greek word that is translated burden beyond measure were used to describe an overloaded ship. A ship that is riding so low in the water that it's about to sink. Or it is used to describe a pack animal that is so pitifully overloaded 
that it falls in despair into the load, and it literally means to be crushed. Paul had multiple life-threatening experiences, a stoning, five beatings. Each of them took him to the point of death, multiplied dangers and shipwrecks, but none had crushed him as much as whatever had happened here in Asia. C.S. Lewis wrote two books dealing with suffering. The first was a theological treatise on suffering he called The Problem of Pain. In it, he discussed pain from an intellectual standpoint. And then at age 59, C.S. Lewis married Joy Davidman Grisham. She was an American, 16 years younger than him, divorced, a Jew, a communist, and an atheist before she became a Christian by reading Lewis's books. When they married, she had been diagnosed with cancer, and she even called their marriage a deathbed wedding. She was in remission for a while, and then four years later, she died. After her death, however, Lewis wrote his second book, a personal expression of his pain and anguish over the death of his wife. It is called A Grief Observed. In writing about pain, Lewis made the famous quote that probably you have heard, God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. But there's another quote that is also powerful but less familiar. He wrote, pain removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. In other words, when things are going great in our lives, we tend to major on the minors. It is only when pain comes that the veil is removed and God gets our attention. Suffering makes us focus on the real issues of life and death. Third, God allows suffering to empty us of our self-reliance. Verse number nine. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Dr. Alan Redpath wrote a commentary on 2 Corinthians many years ago entitled Blessings Out of Buffeting. He said, God has one great purpose for his people above everything else. It is to destroy in us forever any confidence in the flesh. Hard times can teach us something that we would otherwise never learn. Most of us go adept at handling the moderate problems of everyday life. But sometimes things happen that knock us to our knees. It is only at that point when our only hope is the Lord that we really learn dependence. 
The writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So as we follow the Lord and we experience events that threaten to take us under, we need to remember to entrust ourselves to God who is alone able to raise the dead. The fourth thing that God, reason why God allows suffering is to convince us to trust in God alone. Verse number 10 says, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul used the word <clears throat> delivered three times in that verse, past tense, who delivered us from so great a death, present tense, who does deliver us, and future tense, and who still delivers us. God's plan is to take us where we have no human resource left. Nothing that we can call upon intellectually, physically, or emotionally. That's exactly where the Lord wants us to be. Because it's the perfect place, as Paul says in later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that our weakness in, is made perfect in God's strength. Now, since I can't swim, I can't tell you whether this is true or not. It is said that if you are ever called upon to rescue someone who is drowning, that if you really thought it through, you wouldn't try to rescue them until they go down for the last time. Now, that sounds kind of harsh. But the truth is, if you try to intervene at any point prior to that, when they still have the strength to fight and kick, they're liable to drown both of you. But when they come to the very end of their strength and there's no confidence left in their own ability to get themselves out of this situation, then they can be picked up and brought to safety. Well, that's exactly where the Lord wants to take us, to the place where we are given our last shot and we're sinking for the last time and there is nothing in us that can save us and there's no human resource. That's exactly where God's power intervenes. A workman was employed on a building project. It was one of those high-rise deals. It was necessary because of deadlines and bad weather for them to work at night. While busy on the edge of a wall, he slipped. He lost his balance and he fell over the edge. He grabbed the edge of the wall with both hands and he hung on desperately. He began to scream and to cry out and call for someone to rescue him. It was pitch black. Riveting machines were going and Metal hammers were beating and pounding and mechanical motors were running and nobody could hear him. Gradually, his arms grew numb 
as he hung suspended over the street below and his fingers began slowly to slip and against every effort of his own will to hold on at last, he lost his hold and he fell about three inches to the scaffolding that had been below him all that time. The darkness had prevented him from seeing it. And all through his anxiety, he was completely safe. We are often terrified by our predicaments, while at the time, the scaffolding of God's care has always been underneath us. Our ignorance of that fact does not change the certainty, but it does destroy the peace. We need to remember that underneath us are the Lord's everlasting arms. But you don't know until your fingers slip and you have to let go. Number five, suffering is to reveal to us the power of prayer. He says in verse number 11, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now Paul's confidence rested not only in the faithfulness of God, but also upon the prayers of those who prayed for him. I like the way that the NIV translates that particular phrase of verse 11. It says, you help us by your prayers. Paul uses a Greek word that only occurs here in the New Testament. It is a compound word that comes from three other words, meaning with, under, work. Our prayers matter. It makes a difference whether or not we pray Paul is saying, when I thought I was going to die, and some of you can identify with that this week, when I thought I was going to die, he said, you prayed and God delivered me. We will never know until we get to heaven how many times the prayers of others rescued us. But I believe in that great day when all secrets are revealed we will discover we would have fallen, but someone was praying for us. We would have made a stupid decision, but someone was praying for us. We would have given in to temptation, but somebody was praying for us. We would have retaliated, but someone was praying for us. We would have crumbled under pressure, but someone prayed for us. Paul, of all people, understood the value of prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, For me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may be op- open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, Pray for me. Pray that I will be bold. Philippians 1.19 says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is in you. 
Let me close by saying some of you will have scars from what you've experienced this week. Some will be physical. Some may be emotional. But think back in your life. Every scar you have on your body tells a story. You can be proud of your scars because they prove not only that you have suffered, but that you have survived. To paraphrase what Paul, I think Paul was trying to communicate here, I have suffered and I have scars, but I have survived. And I have a story to tell of God's deliverance. Well, we may be battered, but we are not a defeated army. We know how this war ends. We know that one day King Jesus will return, and in that time he will set everything right. And in that day there will be no more death, there will be no more storms, there will be no more pain, and there will be no more tears. We may not understand this part of the plan, but we trust that there is someone in charge of the plan and that he really does know what he's doing. In the very last book of the Bible, near the very end of the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John wrote these words in Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell in them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. We have felt the comfort of your arms this week. We have felt your love. We have experienced your grace. But some are here this morning are battered. They're battered physically. They're battered emotionally. And they need a fresh touch from you. We pray that you would be a comfort her to them today. And by that we mean that you would come alongside with them and you would share your strength. Allow us also to be comforters this week. To come alongside those who have experienced loss and pray with them and cry with them and share with them that you love them that you're concerned about them and that you want to provide for them. Lord, help us to take note of those reasons that you allow 
suffering to come into our lives, that it may encourage us to know that there is a purpose in our pain, that nothing that we experience in this life is without purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would achieve your purpose in our hearts. I pray that you would help us to be more conformed into your image. I pray this morning for the one may, who may be here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal and intimate way. They can't experience the truth of what I preach today because they have never come to you and admitted their sin and asked to be saved. The promises are directed to those who believe. And so, Lord, if there's one here that has never made a decision for you, they have never committed themselves totally to you, then I pray today might be that day. Perhaps they have made that decision, but they've never made that public. It's always just been kind of a little secret thing between you and them. Help them to realize they if they're really going to walk for you, that they need to make that public. Father, there are others who maybe just need to be prayed for. They need to be strengthened. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us today be conscious of that. Give us opportunities, Lord, in the coming week to serve you and help us to be faithful in carrying it out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.